0: Good morning, everybody. It is so wonderful to see you all here. My name is Tim Park. I have the honor of serving as our lead pastor. If this is your first visit to E-Free Church, welcome. And my hope is this, and I'm confident of this, that by the time you leave, you will have experienced the warmth of Jesus in this place. And that's my hope. That's my prayer. Before we open God's word, I want to uh, Share the words that many of us got to see on the screen, but it's possible that not everyone's able to see what's on the screen And so I want to take a moment to to share the words that accompanied the video And sometimes even when the video is playing a lot of things are on our minds So it's always good for us to kind of focus uh, on these words. These are important words The video was accompanied by these words We go there every week But it's more than a place We call ourselves by its name, but it is much bigger than us. In fact, no single word can explain it fully, and no metaphor alone captures it. Yet, since the time of the apostles, believers have strived with God's strength to make it everything Jesus promised it would be. The church, nature, purpose, function. And so we're continuing today in this series, this important series. And I've titled my message, The Importance of Corporate Worship, Part 2. That means Part 1 was last Sunday. If you didn't get a chance, maybe if you weren't here, if you didn't get a chance, I encourage you to go onto our website and watch last week's service for Part 1. Today we're completing this mini-series within our larger series, The Church nature purpose function and last week we defined corporate worship for you and then we shared with you three things that happen when we gather as a church so i want to review our definition this is an important definition and so corporate worship was defined this way it is the proper response of a gathered church to the triune god again Corporate worship is the proper response of a gathered church to the triune God. Remember, God initiates. We don't. When we come to worship, did you know that God initiates? He calls. We answer. He speaks through his word. We listen. He commands. We obey. It's never the other way around. We don't initiate worship. God does. And when we gather together corporately, it is our proper response. And corporate worship is distinct from any other type of worship. Now, it's important for you through, throughout the week to worship God in your own personal devotions. That's important. We also gather together in our various groups on campus, maybe a rooted group, a life group, a men's group, a women's group, a Sunday Bible fellowship. Those are all important. Those are wonderful But they are not corporate worship. I shared last week that corporate worship is not an elective. We don't ever view corporate worship as an elective. It is not simply one of a number of choices that we have on a Sunday morning. And it's important for us to know this because we cannot have a proper view of God without a proper understanding of what it means to worship him as a gathered church. And last week, I shared with you three things that happen when we come together as a church. I'll review those three things very quickly, and then we're going to add two more to this list. So last week, we shared three things that happen. Number one, corporate worship allows us to hear the voice of God together, Through his word, corporate worship also anticipates our worship in heaven, our worship experience in heaven. And thirdly, corporate worship provides the opportunity to experience three powerful symbols of our new life in Christ. So if you think back to last week, we said that corporate worship allows us to hear the voice of God together, collectively, as a church. It's distinct from every other kind of Bible study. When you open up the Bible on your own, that's wonderful. When you open up the Bible with your small group, that's important. You discuss a passage. You ask questions. You learn from one another. That's important. Corporate worship is distinct from all those forms because it's the one time that we, together as one church, come together in one place and simultaneously hear the voice of God through his word. That's why corporate worship is so important. We also say that corporate worship, it anticipates our worship experience in heaven. One day in the future, we will gather with all believers from all time, and we will worship God in heaven, and that is going to be awesome. And here's what corporate worship on earth does. It anticipates that. It gives us a glimpse of what that will be like. And that is why we ought to take the utmost care when we gather for corporate worship. And then we also said that corporate worship provides the opportunity for us to experience three powerful symbols of our new life in Christ. We witnessed one of those powerful symbols last week in the form of baptism. Baptism. We baptized two special persons last Sunday in our 1045 service. And it was a powerful demonstration of God. He worked in this place. And by the way, I've got a wonderful story to share about that. And I shared this, you know, part of this with you last week if you were here. But last Sunday at our 9 a.m. service, we didn't baptize anyone in our 9 a.m. service. But I shared with that group today. That, that makes baptism no less powerful because last Sunday we had a family come and visit and worship at the 9 a.m. service. A mom and her two kids came to the 9 a.m. service. They sat here and they worshiped together. They heard me talk about baptism during the 9 a.m. service. After the 9 a.m. service, I was on the patio talking with the family, and there we were standing, and I got to talk to the mom, and she said, I'd like to be baptized. And so I was thinking, okay, the next baptism service is July. So I said, okay, our next service is July. She said, no, 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 today, 1045. And so she gathered with us at 1045 and got baptized. It didn't matter that she didn't come with a change of clothing because we had all that ready. We had shorts, a shirt, a towel, slippers. Water was here. And that's why we share that no matter what, we schedule baptisms because even the very act of talking about baptism is a celebration. And so we got to experience the powerful symbol of baptism last Sunday. We'll experience two more powerful symbols later today. And so do you see why corporate worship is a non-negotiable? It is essential for the life of the follower of Jesus Christ because the Word of God calls us to not neglect meeting together. And we learned last week what that means. To not neglect meeting together means don't forsake corporate gatherings as one collective body, one church. So we shared three things that happened last week. I'm going to add two more today. So, if you're taking notes, here's number four. The fourth thing that happens, the fourth thing that happens, and that's this. Corporate worship builds up the household of Christ. When we come together, it builds up the household of Christ. Are you familiar with the Greek yogurt brand Oikos? Oikos, okay? Not Jobani. Not play. Okay, those are good too, but Oikos is a Greek yogurt brand. Here, take a look. You have a garden, or you have a container of Oikos Greek yogurt. And right there on the front, in big bold letters, you see the name of this brand, Oikos. Now, depending on where you are in the world today, you'll pronounce this either as Oikos, or actually, if you go to Greece right now, they pronounce it Eikos ekos, or here in the West, oikos. No matter how you pronounce this, some even pronounce it oikos. The word means household. Oikos means household. And the makers of oikos yogurt, they chose this name for a very good reason. Because it reminded them of a time when people's homes were intimately connected with nature and where the foods that they ate came from the, ready, household gardens. And the dairy that they consumed came from the household animals. So they chose the name oikos to give us a vivid description of what matters to them. Keep that thought in mind and turn now to Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in a city called Ephesus, and he writes this to them in chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now, let's focus in on that term, built up. If you were to open up a Greek New Testament today, and you opened up that book, and you saw the the Greek letters, and you came to Ephesians 4, and you came to this passage— if you were to look at the word built up that we see in English, what you would find in the original Greek language is the root word oikos. And we already know that oikos means household. So, think about this for a moment. Another word for building is edifice. And so when we edify Someone We build that person up. And so when we gather as a church, here's what happens. We edify. We build up the household of Christ. And I'll take it one step further and I'll say this. That mutual edification takes place when we gather together. And what does it mean to mutually edify one another? It simply means this. When you mutually edify one another, you are helping one another to become more like Christ. When we gather together for corporate worship, did you know that we are helping one another to become more like Christ? And that requires participation from everyone in the church. We are called to exhort one another, We are called to keep one another accountable and to help one another to be more like Christ. In fact, that's our mission, to know Jesus and make him known. And when the New Testament talks about mutual edification, it has in mind the whole, the group, the community. The church exists in community without it we will suffer in fact i like what one pastor says he writes this without mutual edification the church becomes a collection of spiritual weaklings a perpetual nursery for spiritual infants i'm going to say that again Without mutual edification, the church becomes a collection of spiritual weaklings. Now, don't say this to someone next to you, but just think it. Wow, there's a weakling over there. There's a weakling over there. I'm a weakling. That's because alone, we suffer and we fail. Every part of the corporate worship experience Is designed to mutually edify the household of Christ. You know, in the very next chapter in Ephesians 5, in verse 19, Paul says this to the church. He says, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Now, today, I loved it. Thank you to those who came for the countdown. That did not go unnoticed. I saw you eagerly rush through the doors. You took your place. And collectively, we counted down 10, 9, 8. It was wonderful. Next week, why not join us again? Let's double the turnout and triple it the next week. It was wonderful. Now, the reality is this. Sometimes, singing during a worship service it's treated like the opening act at a concert right when you go to a concert you're not as interested in the opening act so you take your time getting to the arena when you get to the arena you park you go in and you hear the opening act in the background but you're hungry so you go to the concession stand You stand in a long line to get your hot dog and popcorn. It's okay that you're not watching the opening act because it's just the opening act. So you get your food, you sit down at your seats, and what do you do? You start talking to your friends. You start talking loud because you want to talk over the music. And you eat your popcorn. And then only when the band comes comes on stage do you really give your attention. Now, none of us would come out and say that the songs during a worship service are unimportant. None of us would come out and say that. But if we're perpetually late, but if we're just hanging out, just talking with friends out and about while worship is starting, our actions speak louder than our words did you know that when we sing songs to god something beautiful happens simultaneously when we sing songs to god we speak to one another and we bless one another and we build up one another And we can't do that if we're not here. Now, some might say, well, you know, this past week, I attended my life group. Today, I attended my Bible fellowship on campus. This past week, I attended my men's group, women's group, small group, rooted group. And I encouraged everyone. So isn't that enough? This week I had my daily devotionals. I had it five out of seven days. Isn't that enough? And the answer is no. It's not enough. Because as good as those things are, those things are not corporate worship and they are not a substitute for corporate worship. Did you know that your very presence here during worship, your very presence... Builds up the body of Christ. Just by being here, you build up the household of Christ. And did you know that when we are absent, it stunts the growth of the church? We don't often think that, but if we are perpetually absent, it actually stunts the growth. Of the church. And it's hard for us to to accept that because we live in a culture where the emphasis is on the individual. Right? As long as I take care of myself or my actions will only impact me. But throughout the New Testament, there's a focus on a mutual edification. And so when we worship God through singing, you actually build up. The household of Christ, I can tell you, I, for one, I am blessed when I hear people behind me singing. I, I am blessed, and I imagine those around you that they are blessed and they' are built up when they hear you singing as well, and after we sing on a Sunday morning. We ask you to take a moment to greet those around you. Did you know that we have that as part of our worship service? Not simply to stall, to let the band get off the stage. (laughs) It is not a filler. It's actually very strategically biblical. Because when you greet one another in a gathered worship setting, it gives you the opportunity to look at someone Look at that person's smile and be built up. So when you greet one another with a smile and when your eyes light up, you might actually make someone's day that morning. You might meet someone new that morning. In fact, next Sunday, feel free when the person up here says, before you're seated, greet one another. Next Sunday, feel free to go all the way across the room to the other side and meet someone over there. And it's possible that you might say hi to someone you've never said hi to before because, quite frankly, every week, we say hi to the same two or three people. Isn't that true? Because we have our assigned seats. Right? Your name is on your seat. No, it's not. I can pretty much guess where 90% of you are going to sit. By the way, if ever somebody is in your seat, (laughs) like your seat as if your name is on it, if someone is ever in your seat on a Sunday morning, don't give them a stare. (laughs) Just go find another seat for the day. So next Sunday, do that. Go across the room. We'll wait for you. We have nowhere to go. And take your time go into the wiggle room. Say hi to them in the wiggle room next Sunday. That part of worship is biblical. It's not designed just by accident. Because by giving us the opportunity to greet one another, it builds up the household of Christ. During worship, when we hear testimonies, when we hear prayers, when we hear the preaching of God's word, we are mutually built up. And that's why we ought to be active listeners, not passive listeners. Last week I said, don't hoard your amens. If you hoard your amens, those around you cannot be blessed. They can't agree with you. So don't hoard your amens. So corporate worship builds up the household of Christ. Here's the fifth thing that happens when we come together as a gathered church. Corporate worship displays our unity in Christ. Corporate worship displays our unity in Christ. Have you ever stubbed your toe on a piece of furniture at home? You have. We all have. And and here's what happens, especially if it's your pinky toe. It's like the worst. Let's say you stub your toe on the corner of a furniture. Here's what happens, and it usually happens simultaneously. Your mind registers pain. You start to hobble, and then words might flow from your tongue. And then you hesitate to look down, and you hope that your toenail is still there. And all that happens, even though just one tiny part of your body got hurt, your whole body comes to its aid and distributes the pain. Same with a sprained ankle, right? When you have a sprained ankle, it just doesn't stay isolated in the ankle, right? Your back starts to hurt because you're, you're limping and you're favoring one side. Your armpits hurt because you're using crutches. Your whole body hurts. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, verses 25 and 26. 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, verses 25 and 26. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church here. And he's talking about an important subject that affects the entire church. And in chapter 12, here's what he writes, starting in verse 25. So that there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Paul was exhorting the Corinthian church to maintain unity in the midst of their diversity. Next week, Pastor Luke is going to speak on the subject of unity within the church. So we're not going to talk much about it today, but it's important for us to know that unity cannot happen if we're all doing our own things independent of one another. I'd like to say that again. Unity cannot happen if we're all doing our own things independent of one another. Now, God has blessed our church with many wonderful ministries, many wonderful groups. And those ministries and groups, they require a lot of attention, effort, time, preparation. We have many wonderful teachers. But those groups were never meant to function as islands. That's why we have corporate worship. We are all connected. But in order for us to stay connected, we must be present in one another's lives. And how is that done in the church? Let's think about that for a minute. Throughout the world, there are churches of all sizes. There are churches that have thousands upon thousands of people. Churches with maybe dozens of people and every church in between. But no matter the size of a church, and no matter the number of ministries, how do we stay connected? We stay connected corporately as a gathered church when we come together and we're able to celebrate all that God's doing in and through our church. That is why those of you who volunteer in the various ministries... Those who teach, we ask that our teachers are present in one of our two corporate worship experiences. That's an important component of our church. That's why those who teach in our elementary ministry, our children's ministry, our youth ministry, our adult ministries, we ask them, if you are serving on a Sunday, come to the other worship service. Why? Because here's the alternative. People get busy. They serve faithfully. And each week they might teach. They might go from one ministry to another. Teaching, 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 teaching. But never being fed in the corporate gathering. So that's why I commend our volunteers who are here one service and serving another service without a clear sense of corporate worship, will eventually simply become a collection of little groups doing our own little things on a Sunday morning. And that is not God's design for his church. We want to come together collectively to worship God, and to celebrate what he is doing in his church. Oftentimes, you'll hear me share from the stage some encouragement that took place earlier that week. And we do that corporately, to encourage you corporately. In fact, this is a perfect opportunity to talk about what took place on our campus this past Tuesday evening. We held our annual teacher appreciation dinner. If you're not familiar with this event, what it is is every year we invite teachers, educators, administrators from our local schools to recognize them. We have a dinner for them, bless them with gifts, and it's just a great opportunity for us to extend our thanks to the teachers in our communities. On Tuesday night... We packed out the landing, and we had 21 teachers from our community come. 21. Yes, you can celebrate that. You can absolutely celebrate that. 21 teachers from the local schools, they said yes to the invitation. They came, and they sat at the tables of their students, and they enjoyed the evening the theme for this past tuesday's event was nacho average teacher (laughs) i loved it nacho average teacher we had of course a nacho bar street tacos rice and beans and corn and churros it was an incredible evening and so many people worked to make it such a special and memorable evening the next day we received an email from one of our parents. And this parent wrote an email on behalf of uh, four families who are part of our church. You see, because those four families, they invited many teachers from their school, their kid's school, and they had five teachers from the same elementary school come and be honored. Allow me to read a portion of this email. And I share this because it is important for you to understand the significance of an event like this and it's important for us to celebrate what took place on our campus. Here's just a portion of the email from one of our parents. This event is truly a special and unique way for our families to develop purposeful and intentional relationships with our children's teachers. God has providentially placed These teachers in our children's lives, and we are filled with gratitude for the church body who partners with us for the progress of the gospel. One teacher commented in amazement that she had never been to a church event like this, and she was astonished at the love and appreciation expressed. It is impressions like these that give us families an open door for the gospel, with those in our community. Numerous conversations were had, and I pray that God has purposed many of these for eternal gains. And then the parent concluded with this statement. It is not lost upon us how much preparation and labor went into the organization, decorations, physical setup, games, presentations, and food to pull all this off. To see members of the body work together to do what no single member could do on their own is humbling and an inspiration for worship. We thank each and every one who gave selflessly of their time and effort with an eye towards serving our King. To Him be the glory in all our endeavors. What an encouraging, spiritually deep email from one of our parents. That evening, I personally spoke to so many teachers who kept commenting, I can't believe this is all for us. And and one particular teacher, she said, oh, you know, this event has become known at our school. And she's like, I was kind of sad because I was never invited. (laughs) Maybe she didn't ever have kids who were at e Church in her class until this year. And so she's like, wow, I feel so special. I got invited. To those who made Tuesday evening possible, we cannot thank you enough. Every single one of you who made that evening possible. Do you see why when we come together corporately, we display unity because we're able to celebrate what happens together as a church. Had you not been here, you may never even heard about that encouragement. That's why corporate worship is a non-negotiable because it brings together a gathered church so that we build one another up and it displays our unity in Christ, but I'm not going to end there. Oftentimes we think it just displays our unity amongst each other, and that's part of it. But did you know that when we gather corporately, it displays our unity for those who do not know Jesus yet? You see, because on any given Sunday, someone may walk into our church who does not know Jesus, and when they see people worshiping together corporately, it speaks to them. So it displays our unity to us as a church and to the watching world. Last Sunday, we witnessed baptism. Today, in our closing minutes, we're going to experience the power of communion. And we're going to focus in on two more powerful elements. The bread and a cup. When the Apostle Paul wrote his first letter to the Corinthian church, he talked about leaven. Leaven is a substance, for example, yeast. When you add it to dough, it makes the dough rise. But in the Bible, yeast or leaven is seen as a symbol of sin. So that's why the Apostle Paul, he instructed the Corinthians to cleanse out the old leaven. He says, you are a new lump. So turn to a neighbor and say, you are a new lump. No, just kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that. The Bible says, you are a new lump. So cleanse out the old leaven. When Christ went to the cross. He died for our sins and he made it possible for us to be freed from the bondage of sin through his death. In fact, because of his death, we are no longer compelled to sin. In our old nature, We could not do anything but sin. We were compelled to sin by our former nature, but because of what Christ did on the cross, he freed us from the bondage of that sin. And that's why Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. We are a new person. We are no longer bound by sin because the old leaven has been cleansed out. We are a new lump because of what Christ did on the cross. And so every time we take of the bread, it reminds us specifically of two things. Whenever we come to the Lord's table and we eat of the bread, it's a reminder of two specific things. It reminds us, first of all, of our new life in Christ. Our new life. We have a newness of life in Christ. The bread reminds us of that. It also reminds us of the spiritual nourishment that we receive in Christ. Jesus said, I am the bread. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. You know, when we go to a restaurant, what do we usually do? We sit down, we get our menus from the server. The server comes back, takes our order. And then the server starts to walk away. But we say, no, no, hold on. Can I get some bread? (laughs) And butter. And olive oil. And balsamic vinegar. And so the server returns with a hot basket of bread. And so then we eat the bread. And then we look around to our neighbors and we eat some more. (laughs) And we eat some more. And then before you know it, you're so full that you can't eat your entree. Because you've had all the bread. Why? Because bread is delicious. Am I the only one that thinks that? (laughs) Bread is delicious. (laughs) Some years ago, when Nothing But Cake opened up near our neighborhood, they ran this promo. We got a mailer, and it said... uh, The first X number of people in line on the first day will get a year's worth of free Nothing Bun Cakes. So guess who got up early? (laughs) So I went into line at Nothing Bun Cakes the first day that it opened where we live. I was the third person in line. So I was guaranteed a year's supply of nothing but cakes. <laughs> so I get there, and I say, I'm here! And they give me my certificate. I was kind of bummed to find out it was only one cake per month. <laughs> but nevertheless, one buntlet per month for 12 straight months. And I made sure I put it in my calendar every month to go and redeem my free cake because I love cake. And bread is delicious. As good as King's Hawaiian bread is, as good as Porto's Bakery is, as good as 85 degrees Celsius bakery is, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And every time we take of the bread during communion, it is a reminder that Jesus is better. Because he brings new life, and he brings spiritual nourishment. There's a second symbol. The cup. The cup reminds us of two things. It reminds us that we have been redeemed when Jesus went to the cross, he bought us back. He paid a price to redeem us. God sent his only son to die for my sins so that I might experience eternal life. And that's why the book of Romans tells us that we are justified by his grace. Is a, is a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And so the cup reminds us that we have been redeemed. Secondly, it reminds us that our sins have been covered. When Jesus went to the cross, he served as our propitiation. That's a big word, but what propitiation means is simply this. It is a covering of the right kind of clothing. Propitiation is a covering of the right kind of clothing. So when Jesus went to the cross, here's what happened. It brings us back to the garden. In the garden when sin entered the world, what happened? Adam and Eve, they noticed their nakedness, and they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. But God said, no, that is not enough. It cannot work. So God provided the skins of an animal that had been sacrificed. So do you see in the garden Blood was shed to provide the propitiation coverings for man and woman because they could not cover themselves. And when Jesus went to the cross, that was the ultimate example of God providing the right kind of clothing for you and for me because on our own we can never, we can never pay for our own guilt and shame. So when Jesus went to the cross, he covered us He covered our shame by his blood. And so every time we drink of the cup, we're reminded that he covered us. If communion is not emotional, I don't know what in this world can be. So when we eat of the bread, we're reminded of our new life in Christ. We're reminded of spiritual nourishment that Jesus provides. When we drink of the cup, we're reminded that Jesus redeemed us from the cr- because of the cross. And we're reminded that he covered us. He is our propitiation. If communion is not emotional, nothing on earth should be.